I'm Polly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. And you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And today we are talking tea. And I don't mean the gossip kind that my daughter always tells mom, I got some tea. I mean the kind that can nurture and nourish, the kind that can ease inflammation, help you sleep, prevent cancer and chronic illness, strengthen your heart. And you know what? The kind that tastes good and the kind you can share with a friend and grow in your backyard. Today we're talking with tea expert Jody Helmer, tea drinker, tea grower, farmer, friend, author. Jody, what else do you have going on over there? Right now I'm in North Carolina and right now we are knee deep in planting seeds because our frost date is uh, up in two weeks and so Uh we'll speed ahead on the garden right now which is a lot of fun but also a lot of work. A lot of work. Jody is the author of Growing Your Own Tea Garden, the guide to growing and harvesting flavorful teas in your backyard. And that's why she's here today, because I followed her. She's written the book and started the farm. And Jody, I got to tell you, because I'm a genius, imagine my surprise when I was reading your book and I realized that uh, I could actually grow my own tea. Like it had never occurred to me. So I'll be honest, it had never occurred to me either. (laughs) And what happened was I've always been an avid gardener. My first job, which I stayed at for 10 years through high school and college was at a greenhouse. And so I've always been a pretty avid gardener. We have a farm at, I call it, where we grow a lot of our own food. And I was at the garden center one day and standing in front of the big metal rack of herbs and started reading the tags and realized they looked very much like the tags on the teas in the supermarket. So peppermint, lemon verbena, all of these things were being sold. And I thought, I wonder if you could drink those. (laughs) And it led me down a Google rabbit hole. And I discovered that you can, in fact, use these herbs in teas and grow the actual plants that produce tea. And so I started planting a few things and just seeing what would happen and was very surprised at how easy it was, how good it tasted and how much I really just enjoyed the process of it all. What are a few of the things that you grew then or that you're growing now in, in your so-called tea garden? Like what, what kind of names do you have out there? I grow a lot of mint. Mm. Um, mint tea is absolutely my favorite and there are an incredible number of varieties of mint. And so I have everything from Kentucky Colonel Mint, which is my personal favorite. And it's a cool name. It's the mint that's used in mojitos in case you want to venture beyond tea a little. Good to know. Yes. And you can grow chocolate mint and um, spearmint. They all have slightly different flavors. There's citrus mint and, you know, just like it sounds. So that's got a slightly citrusy flavor, chocolate mint people often describe it a little bit like a peppermint patty Mm. kind of flavor, that kind of cool winter mint flavor. So I grow a lot of mint. Um, I started growing pineapple sage, which grows really large and lush and it produces these 
tubular red flowers that pollinators love. And it's also really great in tea. And I grow lemongrass. I mean, there are just all kinds of things that you can add to your teacup that you maybe didn't think about before. And that's what I'm hoping people get from the book is that there are these really creative ways to experiment and make your own custom brews that allow you to sort of have control over the flavor and the ingredients and the quantities and make something that you would never find in the store and have the satisfaction of knowing that you grew it. Were you a tea drinker before you started thinking about all this? Yeah, so I'm Canadian and I think that it's somewhere in the constitution that you have to drink tea, <laughs> the British Commonwealth. But I grew up in a tea drinking family. My grandmother actually drank tea. And when I was a kid, we had tea parties and I always felt very grown up because I got to drink out of a mug. And I didn't realize back then that she was having tea with a splash of milk and I was having milk with a splash of tea. Mm -hmm. But it just always felt like this really special time for us. And in fact, the last time that I saw my grandmother before she died, we sat in her nursing home and drank tea together. And she taught me when I was a little kid how to dunk my cookies in the tea. And uh, we sat there on her last, on our last visit and dunked peanut butter cookies in our tea. And so it's just something that's always kind of been a part of my life. And this often surprises people. I don't like or drink coffee at all. And so it is my go-to morning beverage. It's my go-to evening beverage. I mean, it's something that I just drink all day, uh, every day. I love that memory with your grandmother. My and when, when I think of tea, I am a big coffee drinker. And despite the fact you and I are friends, so that's good. Uh, but I, when I think of tea, I do think it is very nurturing. It's something I'll have in the afternoon on a stormy day out here in Oregon. It's something that I can share with my daughter. Um, she's, she's still, she's 14 and she's not loving coffee yet. But even when she was younger, it was something that I felt like was healthy enough to, to give her a cup of tea. It's, it's just very nurturing. And I had to laugh though, when you talked about being Canadian, because even though I knew better, we associate we do associate tea with Britain or the Commonwealth. And in your book, that's really, they came to it late, right? You have a lot of history in your book and uncovered some things that I hadn't heard of before. So tea came from Asia? Yes. So the British get all the credit, which I think is probably because they added cucumber sandwiches and that made them seem like tea experts. Yeah, that's a perk. The, the sandwiches are a perk. But the truth is um, that, yeah, tea came from Asia and the British actually ended up getting tea through some pretty nefarious means. So tea was discovered way back in the, you know, the dynasty era, AD um, in China. And it was long a drink of both emperors and commoners um, in Asia. And um, in the 1600s, the Dutch East India Tea Company which was based in Holland, started exporting tea from China to Holland. And before long, it caught on in Holland and across Europe. And the British had a particular affinity for tea. And back then, this was late 1600s, it was 
primarily a drink of royals and aristocrats. And um, the British decided that they did not want to have to rely on China for their tea supply. So they sent a spy over to um, steal some of the Camellia sinensis seeds. Camellia sinensis is the plant that we use for tea. And they sent someone over to steal the Camellia sinensis seeds and spy on the process. And then they started establishing tea plantations in um, places like India and Sri Lanka so they could control their own tea supply. And that then became a very popular beverage in Britain. And they often get credited with founding tea, but there is a reason that we say things like for all the tea in China, because that's really uh, where it originated. Uh, that's interesting. And you mentioned, how did you mention, how did you say it? Camellias? Camellia sinensis. Okay. I, this is a plant, but does it go into every kind of tea or are there that many? How does that work? And and tell me a lot while I have you here on this next question. I read about Tisan. Tisan. Oh, see, I want to say it the fancy way. Tisan. Tisan. So tell me about this. I had no idea about any of this. I was... Uh, I, I learned I, the book was a really fun read because you go down th through all kinds of rabbit holes and in the end you come out where I could plant my own mint tea and I got excited about that so I'm going to try it but anyhow what is Tizan? So tea traditionalists will tell you that you can only or should only call something tea if it contains the Camellia sinensis plant. So Camellia sinensis is a type of Camellia and it grows very well in certain climates, uh, primarily sort of, you know, temperate, humid climates, which is why we see it a lot in places like uh, Kenya and Sri Lanka and uh, India. But it also grows here in the US uh, in zone seven and higher, which is, I'm in North Carolina, I'm in zone seven. So in sort of hotter parts of the country. And it's an evergreen bush and the and white, green, black, and oolong tea all come from the Camellia sinensis plant. And they get their different flavors uh, based on how those leaves are processed. So the, it's all the same plant, but when you pluck the leaves to make white tea, um, they're much more minimally processed than if you pluck the leaves for, say, black tea which is more processed um, and takes a longer time because it's left to oxidize or be exposed to oxygen. So it's just how it's processed that makes the tea different. And so when you are drinking something like an Earl Grey, which has black tea in it, that's considered a tea. Or if you're drinking um, green tea, that's a tea. So Typically what we see on store shelves when it contains something like peppermint or chamomile, those herbs are mixed with some kind of tea, like a green tea or a white tea, typically. When I'm making tea, and I'm using air quotes, in my backyard, I am only using the herbs. So I may be picking a bunch of different uh, types of mint leaves and steeping just those leaves, and it doesn't contain any Camellia sinensis. And so technically it's not peppermint tea, it's a tisane. 
or an herbal infusion because it doesn't contain Camellia sinensis. She's Zahn. I, I think I'm, I'm often drinking two Zahns. <laughs> you might be. I like yeah. I'm just going to go around saying it because until I read the book, I didn't even know what that was. So now I feel like, plus the little, if I add a little accent on the end, maybe it sounds then you smart. Sound yeah, Especially thank you. You're drinking it from a cup with your pinky up. <laughs> nice. Okay. The white is less processed than, say, a new long, right? Yes. So is that processing what gives us or, or lack of processing, what gives us the health benefits? Or does every tea have components that are uh, good for us in one way or another? Well, so they're all made, if we're talking about tea and camellia sinensis, they're all made from the same plant. And so they all have different, um, they all have some of the same health properties. But yes, because black tea is more, and I processed is, potentially not the best word because that sounds like it goes through some crazy chemical reaction and it doesn't. It's literally the leaves are plucked, um, then they're exposed to air to oxidize and left to wither. And then you kind of roll them with black tea um, until you get them into a certain shape and then um, they're dried and then they're used. So it's a very natural process, but it is a process. And so they all have some of the same health benefits, like uh, both white tea and black tea, for example, have a lot of antioxidants, which are good for your health for things like inflammation and um, cancer fighting and things like that. Where some of the really different health benefits come in is when you start adding things like peppermint or chamomile or ginger to the tea because those herbs um, are chock full of different health benefits. And that's why we have, you know, a whole field of medicine called herbal medicine. They're often used to treat different conditions. And so depending on what you use to brew your tea or tisane, you're getting different benefits. So chamomile is, you know, always associated with sleep. Um, peppermint is associated with like uh, upset stomach, sort of digestive issues. Same with ginger. It's often used for indigestion or morning sickness or things like that. Um, so those are where some of those things come in is when you start adding, but even tea on its own, just Camellia sinensis, just a plain black tea or a plain white tea has great health benefits. So you could literally, if, if you have stomach issues or sleep issues or inflammation, you could then plant a whole tea garden just to help you help support those ailments or help help you feel better with the, whatever you're dealing with. Right. And I think that's, so in the book, I created a couple of garden designs, very basic garden designs to help people narrow down the options, because I think there are 300 and some odd plants in the book. Um, and it can be hard for people when they look at that to say, well, I don't know where to get started. And I think that sometimes that leads to inaction. Um, and so I wanted to give people a really simple way to think about it. So if you're someone who has tummy troubles, you can plant a tummy troubles tea garden. You know, if you're someone who um, wants to control headaches, you can, can plant a headache tea garden and have the herbs in there that support those different health needs. I love that idea. One thing we always talk about on the show too is making something, creating something out of our, our lives. 
human nature is tuned to that. We like, we are makers. We are built to uh, be agile and responsive and um, exploring new things. I think a tea garden is a great idea. If you're dealing with a uh, particular health challenge or you just want to explore something new, time to plant a tea garden. Can you do this in, in pots? Do you need a big drop of land? Can you be, I know you talked about zone seven, but are there other things that can grow in the Pacific Northwest or in the hotter climates? Yeah. So Camellia sinensis is the one sort of finicky plant where you need to be in a certain zone. I will say there is a tea farm in uh, Oregon that is successfully growing Camellia sinensis on a commercial scale, a small scale, but a commercial scale. Um, so you just need to check your growing zone, but the other plants, things like chamomile, you may have that in your garden already and not know it. You just may not realize what it is or what it looks like. It looks very much like a white daisy with a yellow center. Um, mint, mint grows everywhere. And in fact, I would suggest growing mint in a, a pot because it's a very, very aggressive grower and it will very quickly take over your garden. So it's a great plant to for someone to get started with because it's really easy to grow. I hack mine off at the end of the year and just leave it outside and it's coming back in full force right now. You, it's almost impossible to kill. I can hack off huge amounts of it and give it to my goats and chickens and they go crazy for it and it just bounces right back. So it's a good one. So a lot of these herbs will grow almost anywhere um, in the spring and summer. And then some of the plants like hibiscus are a little more fussy in terms of their growing regions. But this is something that anyone can do. You may not be able to grow Camellia sinensis, but you could certainly grow, you know, the right stuff for, you know, a, a peppermint tea or a, a citrus or lemon flavored tea, or, you know, there, there's all sorts of other things that you can use um, in tea that you can grow in your own garden. And a lot of it does really well in pots. Herbs do exceptionally well in pots. In your book, you you talk about a thyme tea. I have a lemon thyme that just goes crazy in the pot. I'm thinking I could try something like that. Okay, take me through it real quickly. You said it's not heavily processed, but let's take my mint from the garden pot. I cut it and bring it inside. What's next? So you have two options. If we're just talking about straight herbs or tisans, herbal infusions, um, your options are to use them fresh or dried. And so you can literally go out to the garden. It's best to do it first thing in the morning when the oils are the strongest in the leaves. Um, pluck a few leaves, come in and wash them. And then you can put them in like a tea ball or a reusable tea bag or tea strainer pour the boiling water over, let it steep for five minutes or so, strain the leaves and start sipping. It's that simple. Cool. When you make a tisane or herbal infusion from fresh herbs, you need more. So expect kind of a handful-ish um, and the flavor will be milder. So the other option is to dry your herbs. And so you would go and you would cut sort of a handful of peppermint, for example, and you would uh, wrap the stems in an elastic. And I like to put them in a paper bag and then you leave them to dry. And you don't wanna cut huge bunches because then the moisture kind of gets trapped in there and they can get moldy and mildewy, but just a small bunch in a paper bag 
in a cool, dry place where they're not going to get exposed to dust and a lot of moisture. After about two weeks, they've dried, and then it's the same thing. You just add them to a tea ball or a reusable tea bag. You need a little bit less than you would with fresh. You pour boiling water, you let it steep, and you drink. I'm going to totally do this. I'm going to do this with my daughter. And I want simply start to do You guys pick an herb or a what a tizan that you would like to explore and work with. And what would you say, Jody? How do, how do we get started? Just pick something and start growing it? So my advice is sort of twofold. I would pick something that you're familiar with and know that you like. Um, and then I would pick something that just sparks your interest that you may never have tried before. Because I think it's a way to explore a curiosity and to push outside your comfort zone and see what happens when you grow something new, what flavors that brings. I think there's an excitement there um, that you may not experience if you're only growing things that you love. But if your space is really limited, you've got a place for one pot. Um, yeah, I would pick something that you really enjoy and just grow a little bit of it. All right. I want us all to try this today. Simply start. Pick something you're curious about, a flavor that you enjoy or something you want to learn about. And let's get growing and see if we can create our own cup of tea this summer and spring. I think that'd be a fun thing to do. And, and that was my Simply Nifty for today, too. You know, in my newest book, You Recharged, I write a lot about curiosity. Because when we engage and explore and grow and learn in our lives, we develop this kind of natural energy that takes us through the harder times. I think expansion and growth is, is part of fueling us, particularly right now when we're facing many challenges we haven't explored and experienced before. So today's Simply Nifty is a practice. Get curious. Do something you haven't done before. And I think picking a new herb or planting a tea garden is going to be it for me today. So what are you going to do that allows you to engage in your life? Because when we participate and get off the bench to live in this life, uh, that's simply nifty. We feel a whole lot better. Um, and another thing I want to tell you about today is that, Jody, you mentioned mojitos. I know you wrote a book about growing your own cocktail garden. Yes, we should be making things like mojitos and spiked lavender lemonade and all of the Ooh, good that's nice okay yeah. so i can grow the mint for my morning tazan and my afternoon mojito yes this is great jody this is awesome i knew it would be i i uh was really sucked in to the pictures the the exploration in your book so i got a good education and it was a fun read i appreciate it where can people find more about your work on pollinators and the farm i know you have an etsy shop how can we track you down um you can find the books at any independent bookstore if you're in portland definitely powell's for sure also on amazon I am online at Jody, J-O-D-I, Helmer, H-E-L-M-E-R.com, and uh, Twitter at Helmer Jody, and Instagram at Naughty Donkey Farm. Yeah, that, that sounds very mysterious, but you actually have a naughty donkey at your farm, a donkey with very bad manners, right? We have a donkey named Waylon Jennings who has very bad manners, and our friend's toddler called him the naughty donkey and it stuck. I, I think that's perfect. All right. I let's go do this. Let's make a cup of tea. And if we can't get together in person, which we're getting closer now, 
so we might be able to meet each other for a, a six foot cup of tea, but let's nourish and nurture ourselves first by experimenting and growing our own and being connected in our lives and to nature this way. And then having a cup of tea that's going to nourish our spirit and nurture our body. And I think when we do that, we will all live well, do good and be happy. Thanks for listening. Check me out at polycampbell.com. Get you recharged at any bookstore now, and you'll learn more about the things that we can do to get unstuck in our lives and live with vitality and energy. I'll, I'll catch you next week. I'm going to go have a cup of tea. Go now, live well, do good and be happy. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid.